Welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group's Thursday Night Alcoholics and God Speaker Step Series. Let's have Trey with our joke. Wonderful pause. Love the enthusiasm. Woo! Yes. Hi, I'm Trey, and I'm an alcoholic. Uh, I am your joke teller for this evening. So an, uh, an AA and their partner were sitting on the couch, and the AAer said, you know, I'm having like a really hard time and some doubts. Um, I'm just wondering, would, would you still love me if I relapsed? And the spouse says, of course I would love you. I would miss you, but I'd still love you. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Thanks, Trey. Uh, I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Spencer. Thanks for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation. So please take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that make noise, slash, might, or will distract others. Take this time to get connected to God. Let the craziness of the day drift away. And ask God to help you stay focused on the step study tonight. Is everyone ready? All right, let's start the meditation. Please. 
All right, if everyone can please join me in the fog light prayer. It's to my left and to my right if you need it, or there's uh, inserts on the back of the chairs. God, let your love shine through me like a fog light so those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me. There is a solution from the big book, page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. I've asked my friend Christiana to read Appendix 2, Spiritual Experience. We read this because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have one, so it's kind of important to know what one is. Hi, I'm Christiana. I'm a recovered alcoholic. Spiritual experience. The term spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which upon careful reading shows the pers- that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety because they develop solely over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think that most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of a spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer. Thanks, Christiana. Please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting. So set your phones to airplane slash meeting mode or just turn them off. Uh, I have seen this speaker at the 101 and uh, the 12-step house and pretty much every clubhouse here in in the area. Uh, He had a wonderful message this week. Can everybody join me in welcoming Pat? Thank you, Spencer. Appreciate that. 
A recovered alcoholic, my name is Pat. And thanks to the 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous outlined in his big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, which is the program of AA, I have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, and for that I'll be forever grateful. Uh, AA didn't just save my life, but it gave me a new life, and uh, an incredible life. And, uh, and I'm glad to be here. I love this meeting. If you're new, you're lucky to have fallen into this meeting that studies the book and the steps and doesn't, uh, I'm not a big fan of open depression, I mean open disgusting, I mean open di- discussion meetings. Uh, you know, we can share our problems before and after the meeting, but it's nice to come to a meeting where they're talking about the program and recovery from alcoholism. Last week I talked about uh, how I learned about the problem. Uh, I was in a meeting last night and somebody shared about uh, trying to convince their sponsee whether they were alcoholic or not. I, I, was, I was like taken back by that. But, but I kind of see that approach in AA. I mean, we have a pamphlet that, that has, what, 44 questions? I mean, how ridiculous is that? I mean, we have two in our program. When you honestly want to stop, you find you can't. And once you start, you find you can't control the amount you take. Then you're probably alcoholic. And it only says probably because I'm not allowed to call you one. But if you can't stop when you want, giving sufficient reason, and you can't control the amount you take once you start, join the club. You know, have a seat. You know, and I'll go as far to say if you're on your third DUI, it's not the cops. You know, <laughs> you're on your third marriage. It's not them. You know, if you're at your third job, your third treatment center, your third halfway house, it's not them. You know, it, you need to take a look in the mirror. And and I and I, I, I just find that funny. You know, he started ask, talking about these questions that he would ask his sponsee uh, about his drinking, and uh, I got I got like one, like. Are you, when given a sufficient reason, are you done? You know, when, when you're given a sufficient reason to stop, can you stay stopped? You know, our book uh, talks about the three types of alcoholics, three types of drinkers. You know, I'm not even going to talk about my brother, who, who's that guy who can take it or leave it alone. You know, that guy who, when he thinks about our childhood, he gets a little bit depressed and he goes and has a couple of drinks. And that's all he has. You know, he gets a comfortable, relaxing feeling. And he goes and watches TV or goes to bed. You know, uh, I don't get the comfortable, relaxing feeling when I have a drink. I get a hot, intense, and let's get up and go do something kind of feeling. You know, and he goes to bed. I go to town. You know, you know, he gets like slightly tipsy. I get an eight ball. (laughs) But it. But the other two types of drinkers that they talk about, I think, are cool to talk about, I, and I think are worth bringing up. And uh, the hard drinker versus the alcoholic, you know, the real alcoholic. And and I drank and and ran with a bunch of hard drinkers and uh, and drug users. And uh, Jimmy D is my favorite example. He was my best friend up in Pittsburgh. And uh, Jimmy and I ran for years, man. I mean, he was right beside me. He did everything I did. We, we got in a lot of trouble together. And I moved to South Florida in 1980, and Jimmy came down about a year and a half, two years later. And we ran again. I mean, we ran hard, right? And we were sitting in this uh, biker bar in Margate. Uh, I don't even know why. Uh, neither one of us had a bike. <laughs> 
But maybe it was one of them nights. You ever have those nights where you just want to get your ass kicked? You know, like you just want to have some action. You don't care whether you get your ass kicked or you kick someone's ass. It didn't matter. It just We were just looking for some excitement, and we went to this biker bar. You know, it's off of Copens Road, warehouse district over there. And, and we're sitting there, and it's like about 1 in the morning. And Jimmy's wife called, and she said, if you don't come home right now, I'm leaving. Right? And Jimmy went home. Right? And Jimmy and I never ran again. He stayed home. Right? He's still married. That was like 35 years ago. He's got three beautiful kids, beautiful marriage. I'm on my third. Right? Like he was given sufficient reason to go home. And he went home. And I guarantee you that Jimmy shook, rattled, and rolled when he got home for a few days. Because he was running right with me. I guarantee you, he was, he was dependent. Yeah. And he detoxed himself, and that was it. Kept his marriage together. You know? I'm that guy that said, well, nobody tells me what to do. I'm a grown-ass man. You know what I mean? And I, I make some reason why I'm not going to go. You know? Addicted versus dependent. Right? I don't know if I mentioned that last week. Addicted versus dependent. You know, everybody that does enough drinking or any other substance or eating a certain chemical at some point gets dependent on it right? and will have physical cravings when they try to stop or moderate. And, and, and the book talks about these people may even need detox. Jimmy probably needed detox. But once they're detox, they come out of detox and they go, you know what? I'm never going to do that shit again. But the addict, the addicted, is in detox, is in treatment, spending 50 grand, planning their next run. I'm going to get healthy here, and that will give me a chance to go on another run. I have sponsees that go to jail to get healthy, so they come out and go on another run. Go get in shape, go play play in the weight room for a while. There's the difference. What about the real alcoholic? And my, my short version of that is I'm willing to lose everything I love and everybody that loves me and everything I own and everything that I am for a drink. That, that's the short version of me, the real alcoholic. And I didn't know why when I was out there, why I was willing to do that. Why am I willing to pay the price tomorrow for relief today? Any price tomorrow for relief today. You have, we even have our friends. Bill talks about, you know, the remonstrances of his friends terminated in a row. His friends were objecting to his drink. We even are, have our friends objecting to the way we're drinking. The people we're drinking with are objecting to the way we're drinking. Right? We're leaving. We're going to another bar. I said, great. No, we're going. We're not going with you. Yeah. We are not going to jail with you tonight. We are not crashing another car with you tonight. We're not going down that road. They'll even warn us. You know they're going to test you Friday. You know you're going to jail if you test dirty Friday. You know you promised that judge that you were done. You know she's leaving. You know they're going to fire your ass if you show up drunk again. If you don't show up tomorrow. 
And one of my favorite paragraphs and more about alcoholism, I call it the effort paragraph. Effort. Effort. Because we talk about this mental blank spot. How many of us have gotten high, have, have gotten drunk, knowing the consequences, knowing what the consequences are going to be? Matter of fact, our friends just told us what the consequences are going to be, and we say, F it. F it. There's the real alcoholic. There's the real alcoholic. What about, the paragraph actually says, what about when we deliberately go out and get drunk, knowing what the consequences are going to be? And we just say F it. Because there's something other, there's something else going on other than this obsession and this allergy. The doctor talks about this twofold nature of the illness. There's another, another part of this illness. There's the spiritual nature of this illness. Mark Houston called it this internal condition. I didn't really get when Bill was talking about this spiritual malady in the book. I didn't really get what he was saying. You know, I know malady means a sickness, this spiritual sickness. But Mark Houston talked about this internal condition, this anxiety, this fear. This Clapton calls it torment. When I heard Eric Clapton's story, he said, I was a tormented child. My God, I can identify with that. I can identify with the torment. I can't stand the way I feel for one more freaking second, and I don't care about the consequences. I need relief now. What do we do about that, right? So, so the, the question the book asks, uh, and I don't know why this came on my heart on my way over here, uh, on page 34, it talks about, for those who are unable to drink moderately, the question is how to stop altogether. And then the next line is, we're assuming... That the reader wants to stop. <laughs> right? We're assuming that you want to stop. Right? And whether you could stop on a non-spiritual basis depends on the extent you've lost the power of choice. You've lost the power to choose whether you're going to drink or not. So I assume, when I, and, and I ask, like, are you done? I mean, that's the question, not how did you drink. Tell me how you drank. You know, when you drank, did you know how many you were going to drink? When you drank, did you know where you were going to end up when you were done drinking? You know, who gives a shit, right? Do you want to stop? Do you want to stop? Are you done? Are the consequences of picking up the drink worse than staying sober? I, I didn't. I was only done because alcohol stopped working. There was no consequence that was going to keep me stop. I had gave up everything that I cared about and cared about me. I gave up my son. I gave up custody of my son for a drink. There's nobody I loved more than my son. Now, I don't know if I consciously made that choice. But I was told, you come home drunk again. You're going to lose. I couldn't stay stop. So there's something... For me, and I, and I can only speak for myself, but I think the real addicts and alcoholics that are sitting in these rooms identify with this internal condition, with this emotional barometer that just squeezes you and squeezes you and just grinds you until you get to that effort moment, you know? And you'll try a bunch of other stuff to try to solve the problem first, whether it be a spending spree or a sex spree or, you know, buy a new car. That'll make me feel good for a couple hours. Yeah. Buy a new suit. Go buy some jewelry. Yeah. Shoes. 
Verses. Not talking to anybody specifically. <laughs> yeah, she is. <laughs> That's probably a good thing. So the solution is of a spiritual nature here. Let's not beat around the bush, right? The good news and the bad news, right? The good news is you don't have to believe in anything. You know, when you get here, you don't have to believe in anything. The bad news is about finding God, right? It's about finding a power greater than ourselves. And by the way, when I say God, whatever you think that is, that's what I'm talking about, you know? And we'll talk more about that, you know? We get to choose our own conception of a power greater than ourselves here. Nobody's telling us how to believe. They're just asking that you be willing to. Why would you do that? Because you're freaking dying. That's why. And I believe, you know, William James, where Bill got the first two steps from, he got from William James. You know, he, William James talked about all recovery is based in chaos and calamity. It's all grounded in tragedy. It's all grounded in tragedy. It has to be bad enough to even consider. My life had to be bad enough for me to even consider to come here. Right? Like, why else would I come here? What do you guys have? I, AA, some kind of cult. You know? I had nowhere else to go. I had no other choice. Why? Let me give it a shot. I'm going to kill myself or get sober because the booze isn't working anymore. The medication isn't working anymore. And I can't stand sober. Literally, I can't stand sober. I hate me sober. I hate my life sober. I can't stand the way I feel sober. I'm the guy on my way to Disney World sober thinking about parking's going to be a bitch. You know, it's going to be crowded. This is going to be a pain in the ass. You know, I need some medication. And I don't care what direction we go. I don't care if we go up or down, you know. If we, you know, if we go down, I'll just stand in line and let you go in front of me. You know, go ahead. I'm no hurry. You know, we go up. I'll do all three parks on Saturday. You know, we'll have a blast. Yeah. But I don't want to do it sober. It just, it's just not me. It's just, I don't know how to handle that. I don't, I love, I think I said it last week. Sandy Beach used to say, you know what happens when you stop drinking? You're sober. And that sucks. You know. Charlie, you'll feel better. Charlie Parmelee, you'll feel better. You'll feel anger better. You'll feel anxiety better. You'll feel fear better. You'll feel resentments better. That's where I was. I was dying a slow death early in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I got to that turning point again. I, I got to that turning point in Vision for You where it talks about I can't live with or without it. I'm at this jumping off point now. Alcohol doesn't work anymore. And sober sure as hell isn't working. I don't know what you guys are talking about, a life beyond your wildest dreams. I don't know what kind of, what that looks like for you, but that's not what it looks like for me. Life beyond your wildest dreams. You don't even have a girlfriend. You don't have a car. What the hell are you talking about? I had no idea what you were talking about. No idea. Because my life, I'm living from the outside in. I'm thinking the outside is going to fix the inside. I need to get that, I need to get the house back. I need to get the girl back. I need to get my son back. Then I'll be happy. He was talking. You guys were talking about something else. You guys were talking about something in here. You were living from the inside out. The seventh step says we go out from here. It doesn't say we live from here. It says we go out from here. 
So the solution is a power greater than ourselves. And I, and I, I want to say that, that it's twofold. We're talking about the beginning of the book, the beginning of chapter 2, there is a solution. talks about the power of the fellowship that's here to support us. The power of the fellowship supported me for three months. But my, my reprieve was running out at 90 days when I picked up my 90-day chip. I could not hold my breath any longer than 90 days. I was ready to explode at 90 days. I was literally ready to take my life at 90 days. I know, it's sad. <laughs> Thank God for the fellowship that held me up for those 90 days. I, uh, I had a couple guys... They were just there for me all the time. Billy G, Brian H, uh, who approached me at 90 days, but uh, Sean L, these guys, they were my go-to. You know, I was at my son's church a couple years ago. They were doing the anniversary uh, up in Jacksonville. They were doing the anniversary of the church. And uh, they had uh, Tony Baselli and uh, Mark Brumell were there. They were one of the founders, of the two of the founders of the church. Anybody knows football, he played for the Jacksonville Jags. Uh, and uh, linebacker and quarterback. And they asked uh, Tony Baselli what the most important thing that happened to him being a member of that church. And he said, meeting Mark Brumel. He said, Mark Brumel was, became my best friend. Mark Brumel became my go-to. He was my lean-on. You know? He was the guy that I could call any time of the night. And he would pick up that phone and he would meet me wherever I wanted to meet him if I was in trouble. He was the guy that when I walked in the room, he would look at my face and say, okay, what's wrong? Let's talk. You know? And they asked Mark Brumel the same question, and he said the same thing. That it was Tony Baselli meeting Tony. Tony changed my life. Tony became my guy. Same as I, I'm, I can repeat what he just said. I could call him anytime. He could read my face. He could read my emotions. He knew when I was falling apart, and he was there for me. Billy G was that guy for me. You know, Sean was that guy for me. They kept me busy. They kept me, you know, what meeting are you going to, Pat? I don't know about What meeting are you going to tonight, Pat? We're all going to the fifth chapter club. We'll see you there. Yeah. Come on, let's go. We're going to go to Denny's again. Yeah. <laughs> Who's your Mark Brumel? Who's your Tony Baselli? If you're new, who is that for you? You need that. You've got to find that. I wanted to know where Billy was because Billy wanted what I had. I wanted to be at the meeting Billy was at because whoever was speaking to that meeting had a message of recovery. That's why Billy was there. Billy had two years. I thought that was unbelievable, right? And you come into these rooms, two years? Are you freaking kidding me? How do you do that? You're God with two years. How does that happen? Yeah. I wanted what Billy had. And Billy was chasing more of what he had. So I wanted to go where Billy was. I didn't want to know who, what, where the closest meeting was. I wanted to know who was speaking at that meeting. Where's Billy going to be? Where's Sean going to be? That's where I want to be. I, my guys, I said, what meeting going tonight? I don't know. I think I'll go to the one-on-one up there tonight. It's right up the street. I said, what kind of meeting is it? I don't know. Who's speaking? I don't know. Is it a literature? Is it a step meeting? What is it? I don't know. What the hell are you going there for? To get your paper signed? You know, what kind of message are you going to get there? 
I want to go where they're studying this. I want to go where they're studying the program. The fellowship is here to support us until we can get the program, until we can find recovery. The book talks about that on, on the, the, Bill likes to use those analogies. He uses the Titanic as an analogy, right? The, the common bond that we have, the ship is sinking. We have a common problem. The ship is going down. My life is falling apart. Our lives are falling apart. We have a common problem. And we have a common solution. And I know that we have a common problem because you've shared your story. I've heard your stories. And I did that, and I felt like that, and that happened to me. So we got this bond. And it doesn't matter what color we are, what religion we are, what political affiliation we're at. No, that does, none of that matters. All that matters is that we both have the same problem, and we have the same solution. And we will be always interdependent on each other. And Bill says, unlike the Titanic, right? Once they get off the Titanic and they get to safety on the shore... They don't even want to be around each other, right? They normally wouldn't mix. It was all about the financial and the religion and the status and color and race and all that. So it was all about that. Not here. My life will be forever dependent on that newcomer that walks in that door. I will be forever dependent on carrying this message to another newcomer or to another person. And that newcomer's very life depends on someone like me or you carrying this message. Carrying the message of recovery. The first fact in the book, right? The tremendous fact is that we have a common solution. That's the great news that we have here. But there's a lot of fun in it too. Vision for You talks about that. I mean, we we go to sporting events. We go to concerts. we, We have a blast, sober. We can do anything, go anywhere. We're not threatened by it anymore. And I have you to support me at the beginning to help me through that. Could you imagine if you were living in South Florida trying to avoid liquor? I mean, where would you go? In Pennsylvania, they have state stores and beer distributors. At least there's no liquor in the damn supermarket or the drugstore. Here, I don't care where you go. 7-Eleven. Walgreens. Everybody sells liquor. You wouldn't be able to go to a movie and go to a sporting event. No concerts. You can't hide from it, man. You can't hide from it. This book promises recovery, but our solution is spiritual. Our solution is God. There's no doubt about it, right? Because the fact is, I can't bring into my conscience with sufficient force the pain and suffering. It says a week or a month ago in our book, I can't bring into my consciousness the pain and suffering of this morning. I can't remember that I just promised a judge that if he lets me out, he'll never see my ass again, and I'm drunk before I get home. You guys get that. My psychiatrist did not. How could you? Did you ever hear this? Did anybody ever hear one of the people that care about you go, how could you? (laughs) Did did you ever hear those words? How could you? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty smart, I think. You know what I had? I don't know. <laughs> That's all I had. I don't know. It's a good question. How could you not come home on Christmas Eve? I don't know. I was on my way. <laughs> so the knowledge that we get 
from the doctor's opinion, vital, right? Vital, vital. We got to know what the problem is. I spent three months in here not knowing what my problem was, thinking I was crazy. And then I found out I suffered from a sickness, an obsession of the mind, an allergy of the body, right? I am physically different. I am the one out of ten. I'm the one who has this physical craving for more. Once I put a substance in my body, nine other people have a normal reaction. I'm the guy that's missing a particular enzyme that causes me to have this physical reaction. It sends me off to the races every time I get started. And I have this mind that can only see what it's going to do for me and not what it's going to do to me. And in favor of what it's going to do for me, I pick up that drink. The only lie I might tell myself is I'm going to stop at three, which was ridiculous. I mean, that, I, was never a, I was never a recreational drinker. I don't even know what that is. I don't even know why you would do that, you know. I mean, why would you only have three, you know. I mean, there's no effect there, you know. More is better. So that knowledge means nothing if I don't do something about the way I feel. And that's what this program is about. That is what God is going to do for me. That's exactly what this book is about, is finding a power that's going to solve my problem. It's not going to teach me how to not drink. It's not going to teach me how to not pick up a drug. It's bare, it's, at some point, it's hardly even going to be talking about drinking and drugging. It's going to be talking about finding a power that is going to solve my problem because there's nothing I can do about it. I love that line at the beginning of there is a solution. It says uh, they have solved their problem. Thousands of men and women who have solved their problem. They didn't solve shit. Right? I think they said that just to get us to read on. Right? Because right before that chapter ends, it says we're beyond human aid. <laughs> you know, that there is no human power that's going to solve our problem. And if you're the real alcoholic addict, you, you've, you've, you've experienced that, Right? You've loved somebody and given them up for the drink or the drug, right? You've loved a child and you've given it up for the drink or the drug. I loved my mother. My mother begged me to stop. My mother only got a good night's sleep when I was locked up. She was relieved when I got locked up. No, leave him in there. Don't go get him. He'll be fine. Thank God there's a solution. But the solution is this, the great fact, right? The third fact. Right? Great fact is just this and nothing less. We've had deep and effective spiritual experiences that have revolutionized our whole outlook and attitude on life. Perception. The central fact of my life today is that God has entered my heart and lives in a way which is indeed miraculous. And is commencing to do for me what I could not do for myself. That's the solution. God took away the obsession to drink. There was action required. There was action required for that to happen. But that's the solution. I love you guys read the spiritual appendix uh, before the meeting. Because I usually read it when I'm doing the steps. Bill uses a dozen words. Different words. He doesn't like to repeat himself. He uses at least a dozen words that all mean change. They all mean change. And we can only be defeated by not changing. Right? That's the only thing that's belligerent denial. We can only be defeated if we don't change. Spiritual experience, spiritual awakening. Bill put that appendix in there in the second printing of the first edition. Thank God for Hank. You know, that's how it got in there. 
Because no, most people don't have the white light experience that Bill had in his, in his story. The clean wind blowing through a mountaintop, the room, the room goes bright white, and he has a spiritual experience in that hospital. Most people don't have that. And that appendix was put in there to say it's, it doesn't have to happen that way. You can have an awakening, a more of an educational variety. Something that happens over a period of time as a result of working the program. And you know what? Chances are we're going to have it slower because we're working the steps slower than what they did back then. Dr. Bob was taking through the people through the steps in a half a day in groups. And they were getting busy helping other alcoholics. Clarence was taking them through in one day. We've done it. It works. This, this is a body of work that was meant to do quickly. One, two, conclude that you're powerless. That, that you're, and conclude that only a power greater than human power can solve your problem. There are two conclusions. We're getting ready to make a decision pretty soon to seek this power that they're talking about. That was done on a visit when they were doing it slowly. We'll be back tomorrow and see if you're ready to make a decision. And if they were ready to make a decision, four, five, six, and seven was done together. Then you get to start making amends and get busy helping other people. This take your time approach, I don't know where that came from. We take our time. We do a workshop. We take people through the steps in five weeks, right? Four one-hour sessions. You do four and five between two of the weeks, right? To me, that's slow. And by the way, if you're a drug addict sitting here and you still want to use, Dr. Bob suffered from the obsession for two and a half years. Welcome to the club. You're in good company. You know how he overcame it? He sponsored 5,000 people in 15 years. He got sober in 35, died in 1950. He sponsored 5,000 people. Figure out that math. That's taking a couple guys through the steps every day. That's how he stayed sober. I think it's pretty important that we get out there and get busy. So this, this spiritual experience, I, I, you know, I'll tell you where I was when I came in here. I was a cradle Catholic, and, and I, I don't want you to think I'm Catholic bashing. I'll make up for it later. But, you know, I was in church, and here's what I heard. That if you jump through the hoop and you do what you're told, you will go to the pearly gates of heaven when you pass. And if you don't, you're going to the fire. And we had this purgatory thing. I'm not sure what that was all about. I think it was a halfway house that you went to. If you weren't bad enough to burn and good enough to go to the gates, you went to halfway. You know? And, uh, and there was some prayer. I don't know if it was an act of contrition or something that somebody would say and you'd get shot up something, you know. I was incapable of jumping through the hoop. I, was, I just wasn't capable of it. I wasn't capable of following all those rules. You know, for me, I thought church was for women and children. That's what I thought. My grandmother took us to church. It, she was the only one that went. My grandfather didn't go. My dad didn't go. I found out later where they went. 
<laughs> I got the genetic bullet. Trust me on that. Yeah. And when I was old enough to make a choice as to whether I had to go or not, I didn't go. That was it. I'm done with that fairy tale. That's what that is. That's a disciplinarian tool that you guys are using to keep children in line. Yeah. And I'm not capable of living up to those principles anyway. What I didn't know is nobody is. <laughs> what I didn't know is that the people who wrote that book couldn't either. You know, I did not know that. I didn't know that we were all broken, that we were all flawed. And that we're all here just trying to get better. I had no idea. Yeah. So I needed to choose a conception of God. And we agnostics, I think, was one of the greatest pieces of spiritual literature ever written. I needed to choose... I get to choose. It doesn't say create, by the way. Anybody that says that, that's not what our book says. It never says that. It says choose a conception of God. And Bill gives us a bunch of choices with creative intelligence, spirit of the universe, energy. I love energy. Everything is energy, right? Everything is pure energy. That's science tells us that, right? There's no beginning, no end to energy. You can't create it. You can't destroy it. It just is. Everything is energy. We're all connected. I love that concept. So this isn't the only dimension that this energy is going to live in. This energy could live. They they don't even know. Science is so confused by themselves. They don't know how many dimensions there are within the dimensions. They're fishing now. The more they know, the less they seem to know. The less they can explain anyway. So I I could conceive of another dimension other than this. Other than this physical dimension. So I started to choose a conception of God. And what I really needed was a conception of God that was forgiving, that was loving, that was a God of mercy. And that's what I started to pray to. I started to pray to the God of my misunderstanding. I shared with you guys last week about Camper John second stepping me before I even knew what the first step was. Right? Camper John told me to get up in the morning and pray to get through the hour, get to lunch, get to dinner. Pray to whatever God you think there is. However you want to define that, he said to me. And that's what I did for my first three months. And I, and I stayed stopped. I was dying inside, but I stayed stopped. I was Dr. Bobbed. You know, I was second step. But now, I'm praying to the God of my misunderstanding. I have no idea what this God is. I'm just hoping with all hope that this God is a God of mercy, (laughs) you know, because I have been on the fun side of the island for many years. I have not been living up to any spiritual principles by any means. One of my favorite stories in the back of the book is window of opportunity on page 423. It says that when an alcoholic can't live up to their principles, they don't change their behavior to meet their principles. They lower their principles. And that's what I was doing. Same with our goals, right? When we can't reach our goals, we don't change our behavior to meet the goal. We lower the goal. Well, I had lowered my principles to a point of what I thought was of no return. And what I didn't know, and what I came to believe, because you said it was true, is that God loves the broken. God came for the broken. And when I started to read this other book and I started to fall in love with this guy named Paul, <laughs> Saul who became Paul, a murderer, a terrorist, a guy who was killing Christians, 
and God knocked his ass off his horse, blinded him, and then used him for the rest of his life. Such an experience that he never recanted, spent most of his life in prison writing two-thirds of that bigger book. Never recanted that experience. It was real. And if God could love that guy, God could love us. That's the God I wanted to be in touch with. That God. So we get to do that. I think the miracle of Alcoholics Anonymous is in Bill's story. When Ebby, out of frustration, out of frustration, Bill's getting drunk. What's he say? The more Ebby preached, Ebby's carrying this Christian message to Bill. He don't want to hear it. You know, he's done with that, you know. And what's he say? The more Ebby preached, the drunker I got. Right? And finally, out of frustration, Ebby says to Bill, why don't you just choose your own conception of God then, Bill? And it changed the message. And that's what Bill does here. And we acknowledge he changes the message from a religious message to a spiritual message. Religion tells you how you have to believe. Spirituality just asks that you be willing to believe. And that's the beginning. That's the, cor- that's the cornerstone, right, of this foundation. Bill says the willingness is the foundation of this, of this structure that we're going to build. Willing to believe or belief is going to be the cornerstones. And then God is going to be this keystone later on that we're going to hold this whole structure together. It's going to hold our lives together because our lives are falling apart. And we need power to put it back together. And Bill says, Bill, Bill says that just... One step off of where we're at is progress and will lead to more progress. The the formula of recovery, right? That it doesn't start with faith. You don't have to have any faith when you get here. None. You just have to be willing to believe. You just have to be going from no to maybe. Why would you go from no to maybe? Because your life depends on it. Because if you're here, your life is falling apart. I'm guessing. I'm guessing. Unless you're court ordered. Yeah, or mommy and daddy made you come. I don't know, yeah. which is fine. I hope I ruined your drinking. You know, I hope you think of me every time you pick up a drink. Yeah, the formula it it doesn't start with faith. It ends with faith. It starts with just a willingness, and then we're going to make a decision. And then we're going to take some action. Then we're going to get results. That equals faith. That equals faith. So what do you got to lose? You're looking at somebody here that wasn't, I wasn't convinced that it was going to work, but I did the work and it worked. God entered my heart. By the way, you know, we've heard that read different ways, right? Lives and lives, right? God entered our heart and lives. God entered our heart and lives, right? I think if you would have asked Bill what it was, I think he would have said yes. (laughs) Whatever you want it to be. Whatever you want it to be. You get to choose that. That's the miracle to me of this program. But but I love he talks about this, this. Why are we so against that in particular? Right. We see literally billions of people out there that have that are having these beautiful lives based on these spiritual principles that they're practicing in their religion. We judge billions on the handful that perverted it. Right? That perverted the religion. We judge the whole religion on that, that group that perverted it. Disregard the billions that have this beautiful life. Our lives depend on a connection with this power greater than ourselves. And what's Bill say? 
And then this perverse streak goes up. This perverse streak. But we believe in tons of stuff that we can't see. We were just talking about uh, science, right? We know, we knew, we knew that this is solid and this is not. This is air, right? Solid air. Right? And then these couple of guys invent this microscope thing and they find out that there's a bunch of molecules here whirling around that create this podium. That it's not solid. There's molecules in there. Matter of fact, there's molecules everywhere holding everything together. Then they get, and we go, okay, that's cool. We don't, we don't even ask for proof. Right? Yeah, okay, I got it. They get a more powerful microscope. What happens? Oh, there's atoms in there too. Right? There's atoms. These molecules are made up of all these other smaller particles, these atoms. This is, that is, we are energy. Okay. Cool. I'll buy it. Get a more powerful microscope. Hold on a second. There's these protons, these electrons, and these neutrons all whirling around inside of these atoms that are creating these molecules that are creating this podium. And they're here, and they're here. <laughs> okay. You know, they kicked Pluto out of the planet club. You know? Why? And we just accept it. Oh, okay. We, nobody asks why Pluto. You know? <laughs> I object. You know? I think Pluto should stay a planet. You know? We just take their word for it. They did let it back in, I think. Right? It's a little planet. I don't think you're allowed to say dwarf, but... It's a little planet. <laughs> little planet. <laughs> we used in our workshop, we talk about electricity, right? How many people used the light switch before they knew anything about electricity? How many people turned the remote control on having a satellite dish on the side of their house? Have no idea how that signal came across the world. Somebody pointed a camera at somebody in Europe. That thing shot a signal up to a satellite. That satellite shot it down to the side of my house on a dish, and it came out of my TV. And we don't ask no questions. I'm not using this remote until you show me how that shit works. You know? <laughs> but our life literally depends on just being willing to believe that there's a power greater than human power that will solve my problem, will save my life. And we go, wait a minute, show me. Well, I can pick out a dozen people in here and you look in their eyes and I'll show you. I'll show you. That's the proof. We've got 43 stories in our book that talk about how they developed a relationship with a power that solved their problem. We have proof. But right now, all you got to do is say, okay, maybe. Okay, maybe. Maybe you got something there. And the second step is in we agnostics, right? Being willing to believe. Either being willing, they're asking the atheists, just go from willingness, the guy who, who believes in the proof of the non-existence of God. They're just asking him to say, maybe. Just take a step off of where you're at. And on that movement forward, some shit's going to change. Some stuff is going to change. 
They're asking the agnostic, the guy with no knowledge of God, the guy like me who's afraid to say, no, there isn't a God, just in case you get up there and there is, you know. <laughs> the guy like me who has no knowledge of it whatsoever, but is not going to deny it publicly. You know, maybe I can come to believe. And on that cornerstone, this structure is going to be built. Right? Just a willingness. The bedrock of that foundation, though, is tragedy. <laughs> you know, the bedrock that, that before that willingness has to come together, it's, it's just got to be like no other way. There's got to be no other way. You know? If you could do it some other way, our hats are off to you. That, that's our book. If you can do this in another fellowship, our hats are off to you. This was not on my this is what I want to be when I grow up list. You know what I mean? I wasn't in high school. What do you want to be when you grow up? Oh, I want to be a speaker at Alcoholics and God. You know, I want to. I got to speak one year uh, at the uh, International CA Convention. They skyped it all over the world. It was the coolest thing, right? And I go to my mom. I go, "You're never going to believe this." I got to speak at this Cocaine Anonymous International Convention, and she went, "Oh, that's nice." <laughs> and she held her purse a little tighter. You know. Like, she's not going to be able to brag about that to her friends, you know. Now, if I was a member of a church or something, she'd be writing that stuff all over the place. She'd be bragging all over. But, but that's not, that didn't work for me. It didn't work. I tried that, by the way. I was early in recovery. I thought, well, if God wants me here, if this is all about God, I should be in church, right? So I go to St. Andrews and I join the church. I become a Eucharistic minister, usher. I'm leading a group at RCIA. I'm all in or I'm all out. That's just, that's who I am. And same with AA. I'm all in or I'm all out, right? Well, same with church. I'm all in. I'm going to run the show. And immediately I'm in conflict with the RCIA director because he's telling me the only way to heaven is through the sun. And I'm going, wait a minute. I think these Jews are going to heaven. <laughs> you know, and that didn't go over well at the class. So he fired me. I'm on the altar, and they start passing the wine. And it was something new. They didn't used to do that. They start passing this glass of wine around, right? And, I, and the wine comes to me, and I'm holding it like a stick of dynamite, you know? Like, and I hand it to the person beside me, and then she hands it back to me. And she says, no, that's the blood of Christ. I says, no, that's a glass of wine. You, know? <laughs> you have no idea what that's going to do, you know? <laughs> I got fired. <laughs> And then I realized where I belonged, <laughs> where, where, I, where you get me. See, you get that. They didn't get that. They didn't get it. Right? And now I love you for it. You know? And that's the bond that we have. That's the bond, right? The, I felt like that. The, I did that. Yeah, that happened to me too. Boom. That's the bond. Now let me show you what I did. Not don't drink and go to meetings and don't pick up the first one no matter what. Because if that would work, all you would have to do is read the doctor's opinion to me, and I would know that I have this mental obsession and this physical allergy, and I would just not take the first one and engage, just like my brother. I talk about my brother's allergic to bananas, right? His lips swell up, he can't breathe when he eats bananas. Hilarious. When we were little, we used to give him bananas. We thought it was funny. My mother did not. My brother doesn't eat bananas. That's it. He doesn't think he's eating bananas with the wrong people he doesn't think if he moves to florida he could eat bananas he doesn't think it's the brand that he needs to switch from chiquita to dole you know he just doesn't pick up a freaking banana 
It would be that simple, wouldn't it? I'm allergic to strawberries. I get a rash. I'm not going to eat strawberries anymore. I'm allergic to alcohol. I break out in a physical craving for more. Once I put it, I just won't drink any alcohol. Just not that simple, is it? Not that simple. Because there's something else going on. There's something else going on in just the physical and the mental. And we'll talk more about that. But I want to end with one thing. I love this pamphlet. This pamphlet just came out a few years ago. AA put it out. And Bill, I'm not going to read the whole pamphlet. but Bill uh, writes something in here that I think is incredible. And this is written by him in 1965. We have atheists and agnostics. We have people of nearly every race, culture, and religion. In AA, we are supposed to be bound together in the kinship of our common suffering. Our common suffering is what binds us together, our common problem. Consequently, the full individual liberty to practice any creed or principle or therapy, whatever, should be the first consideration for us all. Let us not, therefore, pressure anyone with our individual or even our collective views. Let us instead accord each and every other the respect and love that is due to every human being as he tries to make his way toward the light. Let us always try to be inclusive rather than exclusive. Let us remember that each alcoholic among us is a member of AA so long as he or she declares. Whatever you do, do, don't let someone else's religious beliefs prevent you from finding the solution that's available to you through Alcoholics Anonymous. Thank you for letting me be here tonight. I appreciate it. All right. Uh, can we give uh, Pat one more round of applause? And now let's have Ryan with our secretary's report. Hey, I'm Ryan. I'm your alcoholic secretary. In keeping with the seventh tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are now going around. We also have QR codes on the back of your chair if you'd rather give through Venmo. I've asked Keith to read the recovered statement. We read this notice to explain why many people in AA identify as recovered rather than recovering and what it exactly means to be a recovered alcoholic. So welcome, Keith. Hi, I'm Keith, and I'm an alcoholic. Recovered. We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered, but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in his body. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we are recovered. Nineteen forty style big book sponsorship from the forward of the second edition of Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experienced is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75-plus percent success rate. Does anybody need a sponsor? You could raise your hand. No. Uh, anybody willing to be a sponsor, raise your hand. Awesome. If you were too shy to raise your hand for a sponsor to see someone whose hand is up, uh, we got Spencer here looking for a sponsor. 
Um, can the recovered, al recovered alcoholics raise your hands? Awesome, so I see these people too. Um, we ha have a couple announcements. Broward County Intergroup is where you can buy AA-related literature medallions. The Intergroup is also responsible for creating our where and when and scheduling the AA hotline. Stop by and visit them. Broward County Institutions Committee is responsible for bringing meetings into places where people like us can't get out to an AA meeting, such as jails, detoxes, and rehabs. They meet monthly to organize the meeting schedules at the 12-step house. Is anybody here uh, a member of BCIC? No? All right. Well, we have some information on that if you need it. Um, and then join us next Thursday. Next Thursday. Uh, fellowship starts at 6.30. The meeting starts at 7.15. Uh, come have some coffee and cookies beforehand and, and talk about your problems. And then Monday nights, we have our big book study, uh, same building on the third floor. Um, so come check that out. We have CDs, mugs, large print big books, little red books, and big book dictionaries for sale on the table in the back. If you're interested in any of that, just see any home group member. We meet every Thursday starting promptly at 7.15, and we ask that you be courteous and ready to begin at the sound of the bells. Thanks, and we'll see you next week. I'd like to invite everyone to our Monday night big book study. Uh, if you're not reading it there, you're not reading it. Uh, and those who wish to speak, uh, wish to thank the speaker tonight, please line up in the center aisle. Let's all circle up and close with the Lord's Prayer. Let's take a moment of silence for the alcoholics still sick and suffering in and out of the rooms. Who woke us up today?
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go.
fields are green now, growing vines. They twist and turn each way, flowers blooming all the time. That's at my door. song is god bless i love you mike chase bye